Welcome to the council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello, and we are just waiting for the other camera to go on right now. And as soon as that is, we are on and going to give you the best show that we possibly can here on the council today. Um, good afternoon. I'm Charlie Pacello, host of the council, and what a beautiful day it is today here in Colorado. I just want to do a quick shout out to our, our sponsor, Remax Alliance. Remax Alliance, if you want to be able to sell your home in Colorado, uh, please go to these guys. It's at www.homesincolorado.com. That's homesincolorado.com. I've known these guys for a very long time. They are outstanding, and they will help you to buy your dream home or help you to sell your home, whatever it is that you want. They have class. They have integrity. And uh, they're very dear friends of mine. So if you need to buy or sell a home, go to homesincolorado.com. That's homesincolorado.com. <clears throat> Today we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, well, we're going to talk about divorce and children. And this is something that's a topic that's very, very important to me. And afterwards, uh, we go through the, just this brief conversation. We'll open up the lines to, uh, for any questions that you might have about this topic. It's just something that in my private practice uh, that I work with, I teach a class that's based uh, on helping parents to develop parenting plans following their divorce. And very often they can be in conflict. And uh, it, does, it actually does a lot of damage, emotional and psychological damage to kids. And so this is something that I feel like uh, I want to share with you. I want to give you some information that can help you to understand a little bit more about the dynamics of divorce. Now, there are some divorces that are actually beneficial. You know, happy parents, whether they're married or not, usually will have happy children. It's just when the conflict erupts because of the pain that happened in the relationship and in the marriage that ends up bleeding out into the children that all of a sudden we have uh, children that are, uh, that are uh, psychologically and emotionally damaged as a consequence. And I help these individuals, you know, besides people who suffer from PTSD, depression, or abuse in their lives, which could be veterans or others, I also help individuals to recover from the emotional and psychological abuse of dysfunctional relationship patterns. And these are much more common than people realize, and they are often inherited through the families that we're born into. These are generational patterns passed down to us by our ancestors who very often were doing the best that they could in the circumstances and the times that they lived in and commonly experienced some kind of abuse, manipulation, control, or trauma in their early life. And these early markers set up this pattern for how they're going to conduct themselves in their intimate partner relationships when they become adults. Now this is called role modeling. And it's how you're going to interact with your intimate partner or spouse during a marriage or relationship. How you interact with your, your intimate partner in a marriage or relationship lays out the blueprint for your children on how to act and behave when they engage with somebody else on an intimate level. <clears throat> and it's so important that you get this. You, make, you may think you make choices to engage in conflict with your spouse, and you may think that that's okay, but the science says otherwise, and it's pretty indisputable. Divorce is very common today, and it's uh, about 56% of first marriages end in divorce. And that's, that's pretty high. 
And uh, many of you may say, well, that's, uh, that means that you should never get married again. No, <laughs> it just means that there's, uh, there's the, the, we're breaking some of these patterns that have been formed in our families that we recognize are not healthy for us and are not healthy for our children. And often the children that are involved in these, who, who take the, the, children often take these separations of their parents uh, and divorce very personally. Children want both, most of the time, they have very strong reconciliation fantasies. They want their parents to come back together. Um, and that's normal in children. But when they're caught in the crossfires between the parents battling each other because of the pain of the emotional disentanglement, it begins to seep into their daily interactions, and this uh, can lead to a lot of problems. For those of you who are experiencing or have experienced divorce or separation with a spouse, and if there's a lot of conflict between the two of you, which is also known as interpersonal violence, and this violence can be physical, can be mental, can be emotional. And if you have children involved, you need to listen to what I have to say to them. Bear in mind, divorce is one of the most challenging, challenging events to go through. Next to death of a loved one, it ranks as one of the highest, most stressful and traumatic experiences in a human life. Your whole identity is changing. And everything that you have identified up until that point when you make the divorce is gone. You've crossed that bridge. And the, the, choice, the, the life that you made that decision for to divorce is now over. And you've got to walk into that unknown, and that's a whole journey into this symbolic death of what once was to what will now be. And that can be a very painful experience. And often our children are the collateral damage between the war between the parents. It's not the divorce which causes damage to your children. You can have a good divorce, and your children will be all right. It's the conflict. Conflict, the conflict that rages between a mother and a father, which does the damage, the psychological and emotional damage to children, and if left untreated, can lead to all sorts of issues when your children become adults. Now, in a moment, I'm going to bring up the ACEs study. It's one of the most important studies that has been done in the last 20 years. It's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences. The Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And it was conducted in the late 1990s, and what it revealed about these early stresses that children experience because of the dysfunctional patterns in, in family dynamics. But first, let's talk a little bit about divorce and some of the reasons why divorce has happened. Okay, next to divorce, of a, no, next, excuse me, next to the death of a family member, divorce is one of the most difficult of life issues. You're going, it's not like you, got, you met this person and you thought, oh my gosh, that's the, this is the most amazing person I have ever met. This is the most amazing woman, most amazing man I've ever met. I can't wait till we get divorced. It's, that's not how it started out. Usually you start out, you fall in love with the person. You, uh, you bring in your best, you got your best dress on, your best suit on, you're looking good. You're, you're falling in love with this person. You're imagining, you're going into that American myth of marriage, of what it's going to be like when you're going to have that white picket fence in the house and the dogs and the, and the kids and, and, and the perfect, perfect life. And we've all bought into it. We've all imagined that on some level in, uh, in our lives. And so you don't go into something think, expecting divorce to happen. 
And then all of a sudden, things start to change. And somebody's, somebody's acting different. Somebody's hiding something. Somebody's lying. Somebody's not telling the truth. There's conflict going on between the parents. And very often what happens is, is that you get caught in these cycles of what's called betrayal bonds. And these are in high conflict uh, dynamics. And betrayal bonds essentially happen when you're involved with a person who's got, it, it's an, an ordeal with an intimate partner and conflict escalates. It gets, it increases. Somebody's not answering their phone or they're coming home late or they're, uh, they're, they're being very passive aggressive, whatever it may be. And this escalates to a point where there's a major blowout. And that blowout could be a dramatic exit. Could be someone throwing something against the, the wall or someone getting physically hurt or it could be somebody taking the kids and, and going to their parents house or some kind of drama that's happening folks for you uh, this is really important for you to get to if there's ever drama in your life there is deceit there's always 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 deceit if you have drama in your life you could be the deceiver you could be the one who's being deceptive or it could be your, your, uh, your partner. But if there's drama, there's deceit. And so when that happens, it reaches that climax point, and then all of a sudden there's this gap, and you don't know what's going to happen next, and you're, you're facing these fears of the unknown. And, you know, maybe this person was, uh, was drunk and, and, and did some things that uh, while they were drunk that they regretted. And all of a sudden, after that period of time elapses, they come back and, and they promise, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't believe what I did. I can't believe I, I drank and got so drunk. Uh, it will never happen again. I'll never cheat on you again. Uh, I will I'll stop drinking. I'll, they make promises that they can't keep or that they don't keep. And oftentimes because we, we love them, we have children, uh, there's financial considerations to, be, to think about, we reconcile, and we, 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 we believe them. We believe that this time they will change. This time they're going to they're gonna get their, their act together and they will change. And then there's this real intense period of love. The heart opens up. Um, there, there's this feeling of deep intimacy and connection. And you think that things are going to go back okay. And for a while, there's, there's a period of calm. And then all of a sudden, something changes just one day. And it goes right back to that same pattern. And you know it. And you, 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 your, your extrasensories know this thing, that something's not right. And that the promise has been broken or the behavior pattern shows up again. Or you smell alcohol on the person's breath when they said they were going to stop drinking. Or you smell some kind of perfume on, on their shoulder and they say, well, no, no, it was just at work. Whatever, you know, somebody just hugged me while I was at work. You, know, you just start to know, and then the pattern starts up again. And these are called betrayal bonds, and they become very addictive because the toxicity of that, that, that intense high and that intense low is all in, addicted. Our bodies, our cellular structure becomes addicted to that. And on some level, our egos feed off of that negativity. And so these are called betrayal bonds. And trying to break free from these in dysfunctional relationships can be very, very painful because of our addiction to it. Now, that's not the only way that people get into, you know, uh, to why they get divorced. You know, other times it could be you just got, you, you fell in love too early. You, get, you were high school sweethearts and you got married and you changed after 10 years. One person went one direction, the other person went another direction, and one person went to school, the other one did something different, 
and you, you have two kids and you suddenly realize you don't love this person anymore. You, you like them, but you don't love them. You're just in different places. And you just want to figure that going and getting a divorce is going to be better for you and the children. Sometimes there's mental illness involved and like a deep intrapsychic psychic wound which is a wounding to that sense of self that a person has. And these can be directly attributed to the early woundings that a child experiences between what they watched with their parents. And that could be a, a disorder like um, a narcissistic personality disorder or antisocial disorder or some of these other ones where um, the person uh, only understands how to be in relationship by, being, by establishing some kind of control and dominance over the person. So they started out as this perfect person, got you to be to, to sucked into that, falling in love, they love bomb you, they say all the right things at the beginning, and then all of a sudden it, the, the mask starts to come off. They can only keep that on for so long. And this happens to both men and women. Men and women are both this, this, this needing to control others in order for them to love me is something that is in both men and women. It's not just um, uh, one gender. And so they have to, they don't want you to do the things that you used to do. They start complaining about things and, and your behavior and start deciding that you don't need to talk to your family anymore. You don't need to talk to this person anymore. And all of a sudden you start trying to make adjustments in order to make them feel happy, which establishes a codependent relationship because you're managing their emotions in order to feel safe, loved, and secure in the relationship. So all of a sudden these patterns start to show up and then they close in. They don't want you to be able to do anything. They become interpersonally exploitative and demanding that you do certain things in order to make, meet their needs and to make their needs met. And then you're doing everything that you possibly can, and all of a sudden you feel fragmented. You're angry. You're, you're feeling anxious. They blame you for the things that they've done in their life, for the, for the choices that they make, and you take it and you, and you feel responsible for it. And all of a sudden, your life starts to close. The things that you used to do and love to do, you no longer do anymore. And you're no longer talking to your friends, and you become very isolated and contained. And they have no sense of empathy or remorse. They make you think that they're the only ones that can love you. And, and all of a sudden, you feel trapped into a prison with no way to escape, and you're crying and not understanding why this is happening. So maybe you got involved in something where there's someone had some kind of mental abuse. Another thing that often happens is people have suffer from alcoholism and drug abuse. Now, alcoholism and drug abuse is one of the biggest problems that our families, these are generational problems. They affect us, you know, it's not, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not uncommon for a, a child who had a father who was an alcoholic to end up marrying someone who was an alcoholic. It's not uncommon for someone who was, uh, had a mother who was uh, depressive or who was uh, excessively demanding to marry someone else who was depressive and excessively demanding. We end up you know, falling into these patterns as well of, of being either the perpetrator, the victim, or the rescuer. Now, in these patterns where you have alcohol and drug abuse, um, you can be the perpetrator. You know, if... Uh, if you witness someone who is an alcoholic, you become the alcoholic. Um, and you become the one who does the damage in the family. And so, you know, abused people abuse people. Damaged people damage people. Uh, you can become the victim in that. 
you could have married someone who is just like your mom or your dad and they become and you play end up playing the victim role as you're replaying it somehow in your psychology because the only way you understand how to be in an intimate partner relationship is to play that role or you could be the rescuer where you're going to rescue your dad from his alcoholism or you're going to rescue your mom from her uh, emotional dysfunction and you're going to save her and if you just love this person enough if you just show enough love to this, uh, to your uh, beloved partner, that they will see that your love will 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 make them, you know, know that uh, you, they don't need to behave and act that way anymore. That they can be who they are, and all, and that uh, they will be able to grow out of this. You're going to save them from themselves. And unfortunately, the truth of the matter is, we can only save ourselves. You really can't save somebody else. They have to want to do it for themselves first. But we make that error because of these unconscious class conditioning that we have that were implanted in us when we were very young uh, role model to us by our parents. And so alcohol and drug abuse is very prevalent. And to watch your significant other while you're still married – uh, and drinking themselves and then engaging in, in, in um, you know, uh, terrible behaviors or watching them destroy themselves is so painful. And you know it's painful to your children as well. And so you think to make the decision, it's time to get out of this. You know, maybe there was actually domestic violence, physical abuse, and that is absolutely intolerable to have anybody physically harm anybody in this day and age. It's just, you, it's unacceptable. And that can be very painful because you can feel like an absolute prisoner to someone who's um, abusing you. And to get out of that is actually very heroic. And you have to do it for your children. If you can't do it for yourself, you have to do it for your children. Um, or maybe there was cheating and betrayal. You know, that, that often happens in intimate partner relationships and marriages. You know, that someone went outside the relationship. And betrayal is one of the hardest, hardest things to overcome, to be able to get over that, to find a way to be able to uh, love yourself enough to know that you're worthy. But if you have been betrayed, um, that goes to the very core of your being, and you start questioning, am I worthy of love? Am I lovable enough? Why did this person go outside? Why would they use love as a weapon against me to, to go outside the relationship? Wasn't I enough? What did they find in, the, in, 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 in with the other person that they couldn't find with me? And then it makes it very difficult after that to ever trust another man or another woman again. And on the other side, if you're the betrayer, you're the one who, who, who went outside the relationship. You have to, you know, it could be very for legitimate reasons as well. You know, I was, I was, it never felt like I was good enough in the relationship. I was always constantly being beaten up or the, uh, he or she was never home. They did this. And so, you know, I just wanted to feel alive again. I just wanted to feel like, uh, like I wanted to feel loved again. And yet you still, you have to look and you have to be able to see and understand why it is you do the things that you do. So you can be a better human being. And, and other times, you know, these are, it, it's just that one of the things that is necessary for the betterment of your house and your, and your household and your children's lives. Because staying together is not healthy and you know it. And so these are all the different dynamics that help to or that can, can contribute to why people get divorced. And it leads to a lot of conflict. 
a lot of times it leads to a lot of high levels of emotion and conflict because you want to blame the other person for what they did. You did this. If you wouldn't, if you would have worked and you'd have gotten a job, we wouldn't be in this position and we wouldn't have had to get a divorce. Or you went outside the relationship and you went to this, and it's all your fault. If you'd have loved me more, if you'd have done this more, then I wouldn't have had to gone and do what I did. And so it becomes this. A uh, very toxic battle of guilt and shame and resentment and blame and anger and all these things you just want to unload on the person because they hurt so much. And in the research, blame is is defined as the discharge of pain and discomfort. And when we blame someone else, when we we put all the blame on them. We it's it's easy. They're the pro, they're the person who who caused this pain, and they very well may have caused you pain. And they may be 99% in the wrong, but, we, and you, but you've got to own your, your, the part that you played. And that's so important for everybody who's getting a divorce to understand. You've got to own the part that you played. They may be 99% in the wrong, but you've got, you know, and they did this and they did that. And, and when you blame them, you feel better. You unload, you, you, you vomit all the pain that's inside of you. You get it out. But have you noticed that the pain comes back? Even after you unload all the blame onto the other person, the pain comes back. Because that's the darkness that's inside of you that needs to be taken care of. You've got to reevaluate. Look at what it's turned me into. Look at what this has made me. And now it's not about that other person anymore. It's about you. And you've got to get this and you've got to get this taken care of. You've got to put your darkness on the cross. You've got to get back to being the person you want to be and have always wanted to be. And it's hard. It's really, really hard, and especially with all the emotions that are attached to it. And the children are often caught in the middle of this. They're, they're, they're caught in between, and they don't know what else to do. And so it's many times it's, there's a lot of crises happening all at the same time. So you've got uh, – maybe you have uh, – you get notified that you're, you're, you're going to get fired from your job or you're, uh, you're, somebody got sick. Your aunt got sick. Somebody died. Your children get sick. Your, the car breaks down. You get into a car accident. All these things start to happen, and you're just, you just you got your hands on your head like this, wondering, what am I going to do? And at that point, all of a sudden, you know, your children do something. They trigger, and it has nothing to do with them, and you unload, and all of a sudden, you've done damage to them. Now, one of the things that's really important to get to is that whenever you're going through a major d divorce or separation, you've got to look at it as a major opportunity for growth, a major opportunity for personal growth, to reconnect to who you used to be and always were. You can't change what happened yesterday, folks. You can't change it. Plato says, once what is done, it can never be made undone. You cannot go back to what happened yesterday. You can't. You can't change the choices and the decisions that you made and the reasons why and the excuses that you can't go back. They were made. But what you can do is you can start today to be a better man and a better woman, a better father and a better mother. And you can get into that kind of integrity and that kind of alignment that will help you to be a better parent. And that's why you, you, you've got to start, and you've got to start being truthful with yourself. You can't lie to yourself anymore. You can't betray yourself anymore. You've got to say, you know what, what kind of values do I want to teach my kids? Do I want to teach them that when life knocks them down, because life's, life's going to knock you guys down, life uh, knocked you down, are you going to be able to get back up again, or are you going to stay down? Are you going to stay down and, and wallow in that pain and teach your children that when life gets hard, you stay down? You don't get back up again. 
If you get knocked down 10 times, folks, you've got to get back up 11. And you've got to find that resiliency. You've got to find the, the courageousness, the courage to get back up again and face the day and know that this is not going to defeat me. And, and you've got to be able to do it for your kids if you don't do it for anybody else. And you've got to reconnect to the joy that's inside of you. That would make sure you, if you stop doing things because you were trying to manage the, the, uh, 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 the emotions of the other partner in, while you're in marriage, and now all of a sudden you're free to be able to do some things that, you know, if you used to like to go up into the mountains and fish, go fishing. If you used to like to go out for a ride on the bike, go for a ride on the bike. Or if you like to go dancing with the girls, go dancing. If you love to go, you wanted to take that class you've always wanted to take, take the class. Do things that invigorate your soul. Feed your soul. Feel good about being you again. Okay? Full recovery usually takes about two to five years after a marriage ends. Now, a lot of times, parents uh, and people who are in, in, in uh, intimate partner relationships that sever don't understand that it takes time to, to process, to get all of those emotions out, to let those memories dissolve, to integrate and assimilate all the experiences. And you jump into another relationship so quickly that you're trying to feed this void inside of you that needs to be filled by you, but you want to fill it by somebody else. And we make the error that we have to fill it by somebody else because we've all been taught that it is we're looking for our better half no folks you're not looking for your better half you are already whole you're looking for people who are whole and, and individuated and strong and who are going to be able to complement and support you and encourage you and 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 cherish you and respect you for the person that you are and that's what you all deserve in 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 that next relationship that get you get into but it takes about two to five years to recover but very often, a lot of times, people get in, you know, they, they, they feel that loneliness. It feels good to have someone next to you in your bed next to you. And gosh, darn it, you know. And so all of a sudden, because you haven't learned the patterns in, your, in you and what you do and how you come into a relationship, you end up recreating that same dynamic with the next person that you, that, uh, you end up getting involved with. And the statistics show that if you don't take this time to recover – the the divorce rate goes up the divorce rate actually goes up so you end up i think it's like uh, um 72% of second marriages end in divorce 82% of third marriages 92% of fourth marriages in, end in divorce because you don't take the time to understand how you are in a relationship and understand your patterns and get really grounded into who you are and knowing this is who i am this is what I stand for, and this is what I'm all about. And if your shadow of your, of your ex-wife or ex-husband is following you, you're not ready. The person that you meet on the next, for the next relationship dynamic has to be full, you have to be fully present for them. You have to be fully ready for whatever it is the next, the next stage of your life is going to be. You don't want to have that shadow hold, uh, following you because you're not ready then. You're not ready. I, um, I had a relationship uh, that I was with uh, a woman who for six years, and it ended tragically, and it took me about three years before I could even start dating again. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And every time I'd hear, uh, 
I'd see uh, a car that looked like hers, or I'd, I remember we were at a certain restaurant or whatever it may be, and, you know, it just, uh, I knew I wasn't ready. Just wasn't ready. You'll know when you're ready. You'll know it. Just trust that there's, you've got to take that inner journey beforehand so that you can be fully present to the point where you're saying to yourself, you know what, I made some stupid mistakes, I made some good choices, I made some, you know, but oh, I'm a good person. You've got to get back to feeling good about you. And then you're coming from a really good place and you're going to attract the right person into your life. But how does conflict affect children? Many of us are not consciously aware of the impact our arguments, hollering, yelling, screaming, throwing things, what this does emotionally and psychologically, how this impacts those vulnerable innocents, our children. And when we senselessly engage in an active, destructive response behavior towards our ex-spouse to bring them down for the pain they've caused us. Revenge may be justified, but it is never justice. And parents often forget this. And everyone pays a price, especially, especially the kids. And it is my professional opinion, if we can reduce and ultimately eliminate the dysfunctional family violence in our society and bring harmony and balance back to the family system, whether you're married or divorced, even in these situations of divorce, you can have a happy mom's house, dad's house. You can have a binuclear family. You can have those things that really are able to help your children thrive. This would have the greatest impact in reversing the patterns of violence in our society and bring about a happier, more peaceful world for everyone. Before I continue on, I just want to make a brief station announcement. Uh, we are broadcasting live from KUHSDenver.com. That's KUHSDenver.com. Uh, we are broadcasting the best shows and music, uh, not only here in Colorado, but uh, all around the nation and all around the world. We are, this show is being listened to and watched by people on every continent. And uh, I'm just really grateful to each and every one of you for tuning in and uh, making this show possible. Uh, and so thank you each. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. Now, to support my position about uh, what I've just been talking about, I want to bring all of you, uh, introduce to you the, what's called the ACEs study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences. And you can look this up for yourselves. You know, don't take my word for it. Look it up, in, investigate it, study it, know it. If this is the first time you've heard this, and for many of you it is, uh, it's important that you pay attention. Now, the ACEs study was done, uh, it originated, well, it started in 1998 by a guy named Dr. Vincent Folletti and Robert Ondon, and they were working for the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention in San Diego, California, and uh, Dr. Folletti was working with uh, people who were experiencing extreme obesity, and he was watching, and he would put them on a diet, and they would lose all this weight, and then after they got off the diet, they'd gain all this weight back up again. And he couldn't understand why. It was like this shield that they were protecting themselves from. And 
he started asking a little bit deeper questions for the, his participants and asking, you know, did something happen in your childhood? Did this? And people would say, well, yes, I was, you know, I, I watched my mom get hit or I was, I was abused as a child. I was neglected as a child. I was raped uh, by my uncle. I was, you know, all these things started to surface. And he started asking, well, I wonder if, uh, if this is not isolated just to this population, if it <clears throat> expanded into other areas. And so they did a large study, and what they uncovered was that the number, the increased number of these adverse childhood experiences, the more you had, the, in, the increased the likelihood of not only obesity, but drug and alcohol abuse, dysfunctional uh, relationship patterns, the inability to hold on to a relationship, um, uh, anorexia, bulimia, uh, suicided, suicidal contemplation, all these things could be directly attributed to these adverse experiences. Now, what they were looking at was a dose rate relationship where the, morally er where the more early stresses you have in childhood, family dysfunction, the greater your risk for all sorts of these health problems. And there were 10 areas of early adverse childhood experiences they looked at, and they are emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, feeling unsupported, divorce, domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, depression, suicide, and number 10, family member in prison. I would include here as well a family member in the military. Now, so based on these areas of adverse childhood experiences, you can have a score from zero to 10. And as example, let's say that your dad could be kind of mean and when he would drink, he would do something physically threatening when he was drunk. And as a consequence, your mom divorced him because of it. Your A score right, would probably be a four or more. If you have an A score of four or more, you are two and a half times more likely to have cardiac disease, four and a half times more likely to be chronically depressed, five times more likely to struggle with alcoholism, 12 times more likely to attempt suicide when a teenager, 13 times more likely to be an IV drug user. One in six children have an ACE score of four or more. If your ACE score is six or more, your life expectancy is 20 years less. Adverse childhood experiences are the leading cause of illness, death, and poor quality of life in the U.S., let me say that again. Adverse childhood experiences are the leading cause of illness, death, and poor quality of life in the U.S. And the root of this dysfunction is family violence. Domestic violence against children is over twice the rate of spousal abuse. Impact of early adversity especially in the first five years of life, is more like a brain injury than a psychological one. And I'll expound on this in just a moment. 
See, children can't self-regulate. Self-regulation helps to manage arousal, both physical and emotional. Children learn to self-regulate by co-regulating with a calm and rational parent. Serious stuff, folks. Now, back in 2014, I participated in a conference in Fullerton, California, uh, which was uh, focused on military and families and um, some of the, the uh, domestic violence problems that were going on there. And <clears throat> I was with my colleague, Gail, Sof Gail Sofer of the Mindful Warrior Project at the time, and we were presenting to the at attendees there about mindfulness and how that could help to bring our emotions and memories under control. And while we were there, there was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Bob Geffner who was talking about this. He's a neuropsychologist. And he was talking about this ACEs study, and he presented before us an MRI scan of a six-year-old brain who'd been at, whose adverse experiences were uh, four or more. And he put that next to a brain of a soldier who'd been in combat. And the MRI, excuse me, the MRI scan of the six-year-old brain scanned exactly the same as the soldier who'd experienced severe combat. The interior insula had changed and the amygdala had changed. So every time that child felt fear, felt terror, felt violence, felt threatened, felt his integrity of his, of his being uh, uh, being threatened, that's how his brain was processing the experience. As if he'd been in combat. That's how serious this is. You got to look it up. You got to look at it for yourselves. Don't take my word for it. And then when you look it up, you bring this into your families. You bring this into your communities. You bring this into your homes. And if you're in conflict right now with your ex-spouse or anything, or your spouse, you just stop saying, you say, you know, we're, we're, we're going to stop doing that. We're not going to fight in front of the children anymore. You make a rule. You give, make yourself a mile radius clause. We're not going to engage in any kind of conversation that has to deal with money and child support uh, or uh, parenting time or anything like that if the children are a mile, unless the children are a mile away from us. Because if they're in the house or they're anywhere near you, they are listening. Don't, make no, don't deceive yourselves. They're tuning in. They know you're talking about them. And oh, the pain that, that hearing their mom and dad fighting, they don't want to hear mom and dad fight. And it's really important to let your children know that it has no, your divorce and your separation, that it has nothing to do with them. This has to deal with mom and pop. This has to deal with mom and dad. All right? This has nothing to do with you guys. It's really, really important to get. What you do and the choices you make always, always, always have consequences. You've got to pay attention to how and when you respond when in conflict with your ex-spouse. If there's high conflict, the children, there's a good chance your children are being detrimentally affected. But the good news is these early impact of these adversities can be reversed. The neuroplasticity of the brain is very adaptable, especially in children. And when, you take, when taken out of these high conflict situations and brought back into some imbalance, 
And when the parents consciously choose to not engage when their children are present, the neurons that can form, <clears throat> they can form new neuronal pathways in the brain, which will eventually reduce the, the stresses, the anxiety, and their fears. So the children taken out of those kinds of environments and put into a healthy environment where they're giving nurturing and love, support, ability, uh, someone to talk to, maybe a counselor to be able to talk about their fears or anxieties, what's going on with mom and dad, their feelings of abandonment that may come up, their torn loyalties between both parents, wanting to be with, wanting to side with dad when, he, when you're with dad, wanting to side with mom when you're with mom, and how that tears you apart. Uh, the child apart, um, giving them great role models, great role models for, of men and, and, and women to help them to understand, oh, this is how, what, a, what a, a healthier man does in these situations. This is what a healthy woman does in these situations. So your children can replace the role modeling that was given to them in the dysfunctional relationship with another pattern that says, oh, this is how it works. You can change that. It's a beautiful thing, but if you don't treat it, you lead to all the problems that we're having in society right now, the majority of them. If you know of anybody who's experiencing any kind of trauma-related systems due to high conflict, divorce, or separation, please contact me. Please visit my website, www.charliepacello.com. It's C-H-A-R-L-I-E-P-A-C-E-L-L-O, charliepacello.com. Email me. Send me an email. And we can get started working, getting you back into balance and harmony again in your life so you can be the best mom or dad for your kids. I really understand this well. I'm only given a short time here to, to talk about a topic that I'm very passionate about. But I can help you find <clears throat> the ways out of the darkness, the pain, the grief, the loss. I can help you bring you back to balance and the freedom to be who you are and who you were always meant to be, the mom and dad you were always meant to be for your kids. Don't wait. This could be the most important decision you make in your life. Just another quick identi uh, station identification. We are broadcasting this show on divorce and children here at KUHSDenver.com. It's KUHSDenver.com, playing the blessed music and shows um, all across the world. People are being touched. Their lives are being changed uh, by the beautiful people here at KUHS Denver. And I uh, uh, just want to thank KUHS for hosting this show and making the council possible. Before we go to, to some calls, uh, I want to bring in some un understandings of the difference between pain and suffering. Do you know the difference between pain and suffering? Can pain and suffering lead us to a more purposeful life? Is it possible to find the courage within us to let go and surrender to whatever may be happening to us or has happened in our life in order to transcend our suffering and return to a state of joy? I know it might be really hard to grasp this, especially after some of the things we've been talking about and if you're in the storm right now. But let's look at what pain is. Pain is essentially a range of unpleasant bodily sensations that are produced by an illness 
an accident, etc. A hurtful word can cause pain. Pain can be momentary, the pain that passes, or it can be chronic, an injury or illness that affects us for a long period of time, perhaps our whole life. Now, pain forces us to slow down and return back to ourselves. It reminds us of what's important, and often we must take time to heal our wounds. Suffering, on the other hand, is something completely different. With suffering, we're undergoing some kind of pain, grief, trauma, experience, or damage that is agonizing to the individual and is experienced over an indefinite period of time. Suffering is contained and finds its sustenance in the mind. When we suffer, we keep reliving the past in our minds and our emotions are dominated by the feelings of guilt, shame, anger, regret, grief, and shame. It's as if a part of our soul has been trapped and locked down by this event or experience and our lives are forever altered and damaged by what has occurred. And we can suffer over the future and this is rooted in fear, fear of what might happen or could happen. As a consequence of our suffering, we are both our own jailer and prisoner. Our thoughts and memories attack us from the inside and we are continually bombarded with intrusive, disquieting, tormenting remembrances or fantasies and at times it feels the suffering's never going to end. But by understanding the difference between pain and suffering, by breaking it down and looking what is actually happening, we might be able to find a key to having the long-lasting, self-maintaining, natural happiness we all want. Now this idea comes from the brilliant work of Roman Braun. Roman Braun is a master trainer in neuro-linguistic programming and is a disciple of Viktor Frankl's work, Logotherapy. After many years of research and work in both fields, Braun has developed a model which incorporates both Frankl's emphasis on finding meaning in the experience, finding its purpose, and his own work in NLP. Now, Braun discovered that one of the difficulties with Frankl's model is in putting it into practice. How does an individual take these big, deep, philosophical ideas about the meaning of one's life and apply it to their everyday experiences? How does he or she incorporate and weave this into their daily life experience and habits? For example, we might discover the meaning of our existence is to love all life without judgment. And yet, we often find ourselves challenged by people whose behavior is unconscious and unloving. It becomes even more difficult to sustain a high level of love for others when you've experienced violence, war, betrayal, cruelty in any form. And yet, you must find a way, regardless of the circumstances, to discover and live out the creed in your heart. And this is a challenge we all face, no matter what stage of life we're in, where we live, what we do, to put into practice the meaning of our lives and not get stuck, not get sucked into the enormity of suffering everywhere on this planet, our own and others. Now, in neuro-linguistic programming, the basic idea of this model is that humans are pain-avoiding and pleasure-seeking beings. 
it is possible it is possible to get very quick results with NLP. However, usually it's not long lasting. Why? Well, one of the biggest problems with this model is that a lot of the most important aspects of what it means to be human, it doesn't explain. If we are pain-avoiding and pleasure-seeking machines, as NLP suggests, this doesn't explain why a child will deliberately put his hand in the cookie jar when he knows he'll get in trouble for doing so, or why a human being will deliberately run into a burning building in order to save a person or a beloved animal's life, or why a soldier will jump out in the middle of a heavy crossfire to rescue his wounded brother on the battlefield or dive onto a live grenade to save the lives of his brothers so they may live and he will die. These examples do not support the idea that all we are is pain avoiding and pleasure seeking creatures. There's another motivation deep inside us. Roman Braun was seeking a common denominator for both models concerning the soul and human behavior. Now, he was driving on the highway one day and was stuck in traffic. And while they were parked on the highway, he looked over and he saw this woman who was yelling and screaming in the car at someone who wasn't even there. Now, how many of us can relate to this? I can. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself in an argument with someone who wasn't in front of you, who wasn't even there? Uh, oh my gosh, I certainly have. I, I mean, during the darkest times of the crises in my lives, in my life, I've had arguments and fights with people all the time in my imagination. I mean, I would have these long melodramatic monologues, dialogues with them, you know, telling them what I wanted to tell them and didn't matter if they were male or female, whoever it was, I was going to give them my peace of mind. And very often I was having arguments with God and or with myself and, you know, I was screaming literally, you know, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do? What did I, why did this happen to me? How can people be so cruel? How could I be so cruel? How could I be so cruel? And then looking back on it, you know, had someone watched me what I was doing, they, they, <laughs> they probably thought I was crazy. Yeah. But Rob Braun realized there was a problem. Seeing this woman yelling at someone who wasn't even there doesn't fit in with a logotherapy model of Viktor Frankl. There's no purpose behind it. And it didn't fit in with the NLP model, which would suggest we are pain-avoiding, pleasure-seeking beings. Because if we were, we wouldn't yell and scream at somebody who's not there. We wouldn't be obsessing about past traumas or old dramas, reliving past memories and the things that had happened to us that were hurtful or painful. We wouldn't. Now, here's a question I want to ask all of you. Have you ever noticed that when you experience pain, say, for instance, someone said or did a hurtful thing to you, and you feel this huge pain for the moment, and the moment passes, but the suffering over it is huge? And you could be thinking about this suffering, about this for days and weeks and months, maybe even years. Why do we do this? This is what Roman Braun set out to uncover. When Roman Braun combined the two models together, this is the model he came up with. Neuro-linguistic programming. This is it right here. The pain, pleasure, this is the neuro-linguistic programming, and the purpose 
full or less. This is uh, the logotherapy of Viktor Frankl. And under pain, he put surrender and, under, and suffering. And under pleasure, he put joy and distraction. And purposeful surrender and joy are purposeless suffering and distraction. Now, to understand this, you must combine the purpose, full or less, with the NLP attributes of pain or pleasure. And when you come up with our four combinations, purpose, full pain, purpose, less pain, purpose, less pleasure, and purpose, full pleasure. Now, let's break it down even further so you fully grasp the meaning behind each combination. Purposeful pain. To many of you, this seems ludicrous. However, after Braun interviewed many new mothers who had just given childbirth, he discovered something fascinating about each mother's response to the pain endured and how much they suffered. On a pain scale of 1 to 100, 100 being the most excruciating pain you can imagine, childbirth ranks at or above 100. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> the ladies have us on this one. Every new mother he interviewed, though they experienced a lot of pain, a lot of suffering in the moment, not one of them, looking back, said they suffered any pain. So here you have this extraordinary amount of pain delivering a child, but no suffering. And Braun asked why. And what he concluded was that the reason they didn't suffer was because the pain, this pain adds something to the continuity of life. And as a consequence, the woman experienced no suffering. In Braun's model, he calls this surrender. Purposeless pain. Let's take a look at that for a moment. This is what we would call, and Braun identifies in his model, as suffering. And this can be caused by the smallest of pains. For example, someone says something to us that offends or insults us. A simple look can cause suffering. Simple look. In these situations, both parties lose because it doesn't serve their best interest. And it brings out the worst in each person. And usually, deep down, both parties want to make something better of this situation than what actually happened. But their suffering prevents them from being able to see things with new eyes and atone and forgive whatever errors that have been perpetrated or experienced by both parties. Now, purposeless pleasure. Is there such a thing? At first sight, that may seem absurd, but if we dig deep enough, we discover that, yes, there is such a thing as purposeless pleasure. Someone who is depressed or suicidal after having experienced a traumatic event who's experiencing post-traumatic stress or whatever, might resort to using medical or illegal drugs or alcohol in order to medicate themselves from the pain and suffering that they are experiencing. And this helps the pe person to numb out. I'm just going to put a quick pause on this real quick. I was, uh, last week I was uh, getting my yoga teacher certification, the first week of uh, immersion, and there was a, 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 a fellow police officer, or a, a, a police officer who was also taking that, who worked at the academy, and he was talking about the, the trials and tribulations that a lot of the police officers are experiencing right now. So there is this sense that we need to address these. We need to understand 
where are we distracting ourselves from looking at what needs to be looked at so that we can heal and move up the scale so that we're no longer a prisoner to our pains and to our sufferings. There is pleasure in reducing one's pain, one's suffering. And for a time, this might be exactly what is called for to survive. The danger of using this means as a way of escaping the suffering is the possibility of addiction. And very often, people become addicted to the substances that they're using. Many sufferers will recognize this, and eventually they'll try to stop, but they'll realize their suffering is still there and has been made worse by the addiction. Why is it worse? There's a lot of different reasons. Perhaps there's a relationship that's broken off. There might be a loss of self-esteem and confidence. There's added guilt and shame for the things they did. There's so many reasons that make matters worse. And what they often happens is that the sufferer returns to the drugs, the alcohol, the opioids, the medications to reduce the pain and suffering. And this becomes a vicious cycle. All drugs have this, whether it's legal or illegal, whether it's alcohol. You have a momentary pleasure now, you feel good, but then afterwards you feel so much worse. And Braun calls this distraction because you are distracting yourself from the suffering. And this is where most people go, is back and forth between suffering and distraction. You are suffering, you're in pain, you distract yourself, you feel good for a little while, and then you move back into suffering. I know this was my pattern. And I know I'm not alone in this. Now, purposeful pleasure. Simply put, this is joy. Joy is extreme pleasure or gladness. Joy comes from knowing what connects you to that which makes your heart sing which fills you up with so much love you can barely contain yourself from the exuberance of your own life. Joy can come from the pleasure that you seek by doing things with others that help you grow and be of service to others. And there exists a natural process of giving and receiving where no one feels used and that everyone gains from the connection and interaction. There's joy that comes from doing the things that you love. Swimming, hiking, Practicing yoga, singing, dancing, horseback riding, whatever. These examples are activities you do that resonate in the deepest part of your soul and adds to the richness of your life. And then, you, and then that joy just, just pours over like an overflowing cup and it touches everyone else. Joy can also be from the sharing of ideas. It brings me great joy to share my thoughts with you about how you can heal and transform your life on this radio TV program. Now, many of you uh, are vacillating between suffering and distraction. So then how can you get to the next level where you are just living between surrender and joy? When I made the decision that I was going to heal myself of all my pains and traumas and sufferings of my past, when I decided I was no longer gonna distract myself from the work that needed to be done, I was determined to do it. And after years of personal effort to move up that level between surrender and joy, I had to face what was in me that needed to be faced and grasp the courage to being courageous, to move through all that suffering, to move through it, not to fight it, but move through it. And all the pain that had accumulated, I finally gave myself the tools and permission to be able to process, integrate, assimilate, and heal. I reclaimed my life. And you can do this too. All of you can. When you reframe your story, 
in order to extract the good that came out of it and learn the lessons from all your traumatic and painful experiences and find that treasure that enables you to stand taller, free from the pains and sufferings of your past, and move up to that level of surrender and joy, ready to create a new future unlike anything you had ever experienced. But you have to be willing to ask yourselves this question for whatever suffering you're, go you're going through or we've gone through. Are we willing to pay the price for it? Are we willing to do the work? And when you discover for yourself that it's, it's possible to move through this suffering and distraction to surrender and joy, you start to participate in the life that feels so magical. Every moment's a miracle. You're happy for no reason at all. Why? Because that's where we all started from. We all began this journey through life as children, and, and children are natural at surrendering to joy. That's just we all had this. They have a lot of surrender and joy. Did you ever think about how many times a child falls down before he or she learns to walk? A child may fall down 300 times before he or she walks. And they have no sense of failure, no sense of suffering like we adults have. If a child fell down the first time he or she tried to walk and began suffering over it, you know, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be able to get up. I'm, I, I bumped my head. My legs don't work right. Look at all those other babies. They're walking. It's just too hard. You know, none of us would have ever been able to walk. The child keeps going regardless of the challenges and struggles he or she may have and does it without suffering. Why do they do this? Simply stated, because they are adding to the continuity of life, its own life, and all of life in general. The good news is that this is hardwired into our brains, this place of surrender and joy. And when you realize you don't have to avoid the pain, you don't have to avoid the suffering, that you can get through, you can walk through it to the end of the tunnel, and soon you're to discover that you don't even have to look for your happiness because it wells up from within. And once we have transcended and transformed our suffering and distraction, we can learn to live with the right amount of joy and surrender in our lives. And you're doing this right now just by listening to the show. There's a certain amount of joy that comes from learning and understanding something new about yourselves. And there's a little bit of surrender. Because I'm sure there's a lot of things you could be doing right now that would probably give you a lot more pleasure than listening to my thoughts. You're giving up a little bit of your pleasure right now in the hopes that it's going to add something to your life, your life's purpose. We want to make this the rule, not the exception. As Roman Braun states, let the days of suffering and distraction, let that be the exception in your life. End quote. And we can fill our lives with meaning and purpose on a daily basis. We just have to want it more than we want suffering. There's a balance between having the right amount of challenges in our lives and the right amount of joy. And we must find this for ourselves. And we can have, we can live meaningful, purposeful lives that add to the continuity of life. My challenge to every one of you is to fill every moment of your life with everything you got. Don't waste a second. Okay. Just another quick uh, station identification announcement. We are broadcasting live on KUHSDenver.com. That's KUHSDenver.com. 
uh, broadcasting live all across the world. Best music, best shows. Um, giving grace around the world. We have a couple minutes left. I would like to open it up to anybody who would like to call now for any questions, anything that may have come up uh, while you were listening to the show. Uh, I would love to be able to, to answer your questions. So if there's anyone who wants to call, please. Um, I think the number is, I don't have it with me. <laughs> but uh, hopefully you saw it in the, uh, in the broadcast uh, announcement. And uh, we really want to start getting more people involved in the show. I want to bring uh, callers in to help uh, answer the, your questions. So if there's anybody out there who would like to call in, please do so while we have a couple minutes left on the show. I'm getting the number right now. <laughs> the number is, uh, thank you, thank you, 720-386-0513. Again, that's 720-386-0513. And uh, yes, would love for anybody to call in now if you can. Hopefully we're having uh, uh, a phone call coming in shortly. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the show today, folks. Okay, one more time. We're going to go ahead and see if we can get uh, any callers out there to call in uh, who might be uh, listening to the show right now for anything that's going on. They want to talk about divorce, want to talk about children and how to move through your lives if you're going through a, a situation. Uh, or if you want to talk about your own experiences of moving between uh, this distraction and uh, surrender to, uh, or excuse me, uh, purposeless uh, distraction and moving up to surrender and joy. If you would like to talk about this right now, please go ahead and call on 720-386-0513. Uh, we are looking forward to having uh, any questions that might come up out there for anyone who's listening in right now. We'll be doing more of this in the future. Just to let you know out there, folks, you can call from anywhere in the world, any place, uh, while we're doing this show. Uh, again, your number is going to be 720-386-0513. That's 720-386-0513. And uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, wait for just another minute and see if anyone calls in um, uh, as part of the show. I know I gave you a lot. And there was a lot to be able to digest and process. And uh, we are doing a new format now. And there's, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to being able to invite you on the show with me uh, to be able to answer your questions, whatever may be going on with you. You know, there's a lot of times uh, we feel alienated and isolated in our own suffering, in our own pain. Uh, and it can be just someone who can call in and have your, an your question answered. Uh, might be the very thing that you need. 
And so wanting to be able to give this to you, opening it up so that you can uh, receive and I can give you what I know to help you in your lives and uh, to make your lives better. So, again, the number is 720-386-0513. All right. Well, we will get this worked out so that we can... Uh, have more callers call in so that uh, we'll be able to uh, answer your questions. And if you have anything that you want me to discuss on the council, if you have a person or an issue that you think that needs to be discussed, please email me uh, on my website at www.charliepacello.com. That's C-H-A-R-L-I-E-P-A-C-E-L-L-O, www.charliepacello.com. Send me an email with any kind of um, thing that you would like to have discussed, a topic of interest on the council here. And again, if you need any kind of help or assistance in any life challenges that you may have, if you're ready to transform your life, please send me an email. Let's get started. Let's not waste another moment. All right, folks, uh, we'll get this, uh, this call-in thing figured out soon. I just want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in today to the council. Uh, it is an honor and a privilege to be able to speak with all of you, and uh, it truly is a blessing. We'll be back next week with another great show. I just want to say may you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. God bless. The council is adjourned. May you all have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, folks, for tuning in on the international camera. We are uh, finishing up the broadcast of the council, and we will be back next week with another great show. Thank you for tuning in. God bless.